0: We'll to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into the program. It is one of the greatest days of the entire week. A Tuesday, the post-Monday celebration. Great to have you along for the ride today, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting wherever you may be watching or listening. We appreciate you, your millennial general, doing the thing like we do every single day, so... Thanks for joining us as part of that thing and uh, changing the community in your area as well. Big show lined up for you today. The man himself, Bill O'Reilly. Like the Bill O'Reilly that had the number one Fox News talk show for however many years. The author of multiple books and the radio program and everything else he does. He is back at it. The new book, Killing the Killers, Bill O'Reilly, is coming on the program bottom of the hour to talk about. The Secret War Against Terrorists. What are we doing with the argument against terrorism? Is it still a thing, and why is it still around? Because we don't hear about it in the mainstream news any longer. So we'll talk with Bill O'Reilly about that coming up in just a little bit at the bottom of the hour. Lots of things we need to talk about today. Number one, our show of hands, I need to see him up there. How many people are spending more money out of their normal budget right now? Maybe all right, let's take it a step further. How many people are spending more money, not because they want to, but because just things are more expensive, so you're trying to buy the same amount of stuff with the uh, with a little bit more of a budget? Show of hands, how many people are doing that one? How many people are actually going out of their way and saying, you know what, even with 8.5% inflation rates, I'm going to go ahead and spend more money and buy more things and just increase the amount of consumeristic goods that I'm purchasing right now? I, even for the higher end of the income spectrum, I'm doubting that's the case right now. I mean, if you're like an Elon Musk, I mean, nobody really cares. Oh, sure, I'll just buy whatever the hell I want to. But for anybody in the middle to upper middle to even the lower middle, obviously, incomes, things are a little bit different. And you're not really spending the money like you used to. You're spending more money for the same amount of goods, which is really concerning because if you're spending more money to buy the same stuff, that means that we're kind of in an economic hardship right now it's not quite a depression they start saying we're bleeding into a recession we'll see how far it actually goes but this headline is so deceiving from the mainstream media and from cnbc as they try to put the sugar coating onto the dog leftovers that are out in the yard like we love to talk about on this program when they try to say the biden economy is not quite as bad as what you're thinking because people are spending more money which means the consumeristic spending and that means the GDP obviously is growing. People obviously spending more money. People obviously buying more things because, well, the debt of a household has continued to increase. According to CNBC, the headline household debt near $16 trillion despite rising rates of inflation. Now, hold on here. Hold on here. What does that mean? Household debt near $16 trillion despite rising rates of inflation. Consumer debt and credit rose 1.7% in the first quarter to $15.84 trillion, which is a brand new record for the amount of debt overall in the nation in the private sector. The increase, which stemmed largely from housing debt, came even with surging inflation and rising rates. Student loan debt climbed by $14 billion as well for the first quarter, bringing the annual increase to 6.5%. Let's put this into perspective for you. First, second... Let's set aside the student loans. Let's set aside the housing debt, meaning like mortgages and all that kind of stuff. Let's focus specifically on the rest of the increase in debt. If we have an increase in credit lines, meaning people spending more money on their credit card, opening up new credit cards... Isn't necessarily a good sign. That's to me right now with this eight and a half percent inflation and all the expensive prices that are going on to me, that just tells me that people are spending more money to buy the same thing. The GDP shrunk over the last month or two, and they just reported that saying that people are spending less even on the higher end of the income spectrum, meaning We're spending, again, more money and opening up new credit cards just to try and buy the stuff that we need to buy on a regular basis. It's not because things are good. It's not because people are just wanting to spend more money for the sake of spending more money. They're not wanting to purchase more goods. They just want to live their life and do their normal thing. But the media won't report that. That's not what the media – now we can talk about student loan debt. Yeah, we have more students trying to get into colleges and with student loan debt climbing by $14 billion. That's probably because not even more students are taking out student loans, but that's probably, honestly, in my humble opinion, probably because we've been deferring the federal student loans for the last – however, like last year – Last year and a half, because of COVID-19, the student loans at the federal level have been deferred, and we haven't been paying on them. And usually we see, hopefully, hopefully, a little bit of a downtick in the balances with people making their monthly payments, and that hasn't happened. So it's been sitting stagnant on top of what new people have been trying to sign on to. So, yeah, things are climbing. Kind of like the ridiculously stupid argument where the Biden administration came out over this last week and said, hey, the deficit, going down. we're paying off the deficit. There's less of a deficit at the federal level, which isn't the case at all. We're spending more money than we've ever spent before. Why are we seeing less of a deficit? Well, predominantly because last year when we passed the infrastructure bill and a COVID-19 relief package, that was the largest one that we've ever seen at the beginning of the Biden administration. That was all on deficit. It wasn't on the current budget. None of it came out of the appropriated money that was allotted for the stuff. It was all new spending. That was a new deficit of trillions of dollars. Now we're just going back to normal deficit spending over the amount of cash that we're getting in from tax receipts. So if you have more money coming in and we're still spending more, we're just spending less more than the more more that we saw last year from paying and spending on debt that's like 10 years out. We're just going back to our normal overspending, and they're like, hey, we spent less. The deficit's going down. These are the games that they play with us. Here's a perfect example of this. Here's the What's Trending story of the day. What's Trending Today? So this is a post from the Tweety from Joe Biden today, and this is really to show you how bad the economy actually is, and while they're desperate to try and win over voters and desperate to try and prove that what they're doing is actually somewhat decent. Here's the tweet he posted from Joe Biden uh, 49 minutes ago today. High-speed Internet is not a luxury any longer. It's a necessity. That's why the bipartisan infrastructure law included $65 billion to make sure we expand access to broadband Internet in every region of the country, urban, suburban, and rural. Now, he made a speech yesterday... Talking about the interweb and how it's the most important thing that we need to be focused on today because he needs relief for internet bills for individuals.
1: And I'm proud to announce today that our administration has uh, brought together Democrats, Republicans, the private sector to lower the high speed internet cost for tens of millions of Americans. You know, but before we get into the details, I want to talk about why this matters. You already know that actually from hearing my two colleagues speak before me. But here, United States of America, how many times have you seen a mom or dad drive up to a parking lot outside of McDonald's and just so they could get connected to the internet so their kid could do their homework during the pandemic? Literally.
0: <laughs> literally. Uh, that would be zero for me. Now I don't live necessarily in the heart of the city. So could be wrong on that one, but I'm not aware. Again, show of hands to me. Please let me know if you've seen this. You can email me, Hoosier Media Network at gmail.com. Let me know, have you seen people driving up to the parking lot of a McDonald's so kids can get onto the Internet there and do their homework during the COVID-19 pandemic? I have not seen this. I'm not sure what he's talking about, but apparently this is a really, really big deal. Now, I know here in the middle of the country, we have dead spots. Agricultural communities don't have Internet. It could definitely benefit them to try and help out with their yields and with how they grow their crops and what they do in the fields. I get that. Small rural community towns, very little Internet. I understand it. I'm not saying that rural broadband is not an important issue, but they're kind of blowing it up to a little bit bigger thing than what I think actually is here. So what are they actually doing? Because now, don't worry about immigration. Don't worry about the war with Ukraine. Don't worry about the $4, $5 gasoline that we're seeing across the nation. Don't worry about the lies that they're saying about consumer spending or the deficit going down or the 8.5% inflation rates. By golly, the Internet is the biggest thing that we need to focus on so he can say he's done something so what's the plan as this is passed through the infrastructure bill that's now going through the Department of Transportation, working with the states, trying to get this resource out to the individual states across the nation?
1: Here's how it works. All right. How do your we do household this? household income is twice the federal poverty level or less. That's about $55,000 per year for a family of four or $27,000 for an individual. Or a member of your household is on Medicaid or supplemental security income or a number of other programs you're eligible to affordably connect the affordable connectivity program. Nearly 40% of the households in America qualify. And if you qualify, you're going to get a $30 credit per month toward your internet bill, which meets which most folks will mean they get on for nothing.
0: So let me get this straight. This is another way for the federal government to get its hands into another industry that they say is a utility now because it's a necessity it's not just uh, you know a luxury which i would disagree with that there are many people that live off the grid that don't have internet or electricity right now and they still manage just fine so i would still argue that it is more important than what it has been in the past with the accessibility and the uh, t- uh the easiness of individuals to be able to get information or learn or do the homeschooling or whatever so i get it It is important. It's not like an all-time thing. That's another side story, though, that we don't need to get into on debating the, the ethical values of how important the internet is versus it being not, but... um We're giving away $30 rebates to the Internet, which means that we're really just colluding with the private uh, Internet suppliers across the nation to work with the government program to subsidize it that we're going to use through taxpayer money to help individuals be able to get Internet. That's a concern, not surprising from Democrats, but that's really what they're trying to do is being able to subsidize the Internet industry to bring on the Internet companies into the government fold and do more subsidy programs. I get it. How But here's the bigger grand scheme thing, though. How bad does the economy need to be when you have to give out subsidies for $30 a month internet service? I mean, if he's talking about the economy doing better and them saying that people are going back to work and that we're doing really, really well and that things are doing great – We've brought 6 million-plus jobs into the fold again. We're recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. People are opening up their businesses again. How bad does the economy literally, Joe Biden, in his words, actually need to be in order for us to say, hey, you are so poor. It's like a John Kerry moment. How poor are you? You're so poor that you can't afford a $30 Internet bill. (laughs) I mean, it's the good question, isn't it? I mean, if we have to say, hey, government... I have, you know, now obviously I can go to Starbucks and get my Starbucks coffee every day. That's like five bucks. You know, that right there would cover the $30 a month internet bill. But by golly, I can go to Starbucks. I can't afford the internet. So if I make $55,000 or less as a family of four, I can now qualify, get my $30 a bill internet uh, for the month covered with this subsidy program. Essentially giving out the free internet for the basic internet across the nation for individuals. Because I'm so strapped. The economy is so bad that I can't afford the $30 a month for the Internet. Now, my Internet at home is a lot more because I get the the top-of-the-line stuff because, well, you know, having a lot of computers and a lot of different things going on, I try to make sure that it's running smoothly. So mine's a little bit more than $30 a month. But for someone just wanting basic Internet, yeah, it's about $30, $40 a month. You're getting that for free because it's so expensive you can't afford that. Again, I ask you, Joe Biden, how bad does your economy need to be where we can't afford that? Just can't do it. Joe Biden, I need some help. Government subsidy, please help me. And I'll vote for you in November if you give me the free Internet, just like the Obama phones.
1: Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier.
1: bring some reason into your day this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier
0: back into the program thanks for hanging out today for a post monday celebration radio tv live streaming podcasting bill o'reilly joins us here in about 10 minutes looking forward to that one Author of the new book, Killing the Killers, I got a copy of it right here in the studio with me. We'll talk with uh, the man, yes, the former Fox News anchor, uh, right here on the program in just a few minutes. We'll get ready for that one. How bad does the economy need to be for them to start giving away free interweb for uh, at least $30 supplements? And subsidize internet for individuals. Now, I'm not talking about those that have gone through a hardship and needed unemployment, needed some assistance, and this is just another way to be able to get that temporarily while they're trying to get back on their feet. You know, I'm not talking about those. He literally says that if you have a family of four making $55,000 or less, you know, double the uh, federal minimum whatever threshold for being a poverty level there, that you get a $30 subsidized gift of the interweb as they try to. Uh, expand their internet and rural broadband under the infrastructure package that was passed last year meaning that you could be not you could be fine working and yet you could just get free internet which just makes no sense and how bad does it need to be if you can't afford the 30 dollars a month for internet i'm not talking personal things here i'm talking the grand economic stage where joe biden's like hey the economy's doing great we're coming back from covid but you can't afford 30 dollar internet so we need to give it to you for free which is just his excuse to be able to get the internet industry into the government realm, subsidize it, and get their greedy government hands into this one. Because then, here's the grand all that. When I heard this, I blew my mind. I was throwing paper at the at the computer screen because I can't believe he actually said something like this. And it was hard for him to say. It was very difficult for him to say.
1: We're also promoting uh, um, the uh, competition. <laughs>
0: Yes, competition, Joe, that's what it's called. We're promoting, ah, we're promoting competition in the private market.
1: Really, Joe? More than 65 million Americans live in a place with only one high-speed internet provider. Research shows that when you live somewhere with limited internet options, you pay five times more on average than families that have more choices. That's what the lack lack of competition does. It raises the prices you pay. So we're working to fix that problem as well.
0: I seem to remember the Democrats arguing against that argument for another topic. Anybody remember what that one was? Anybody out there remember what that topic was when we said, hey, we need more competition in markets because that would raise the quality and lower the prices because we could actually have better quality and we could get lower prices by companies competing against one another in the private sector. What was that again? That was uh, something... It was cars. No, that was that wasn't it. No, that was what the heck was that? Oh, that's right. It was the health care industry. That's what we're up against now. He literally just agreed with our argument that we've been making for how many years saying, hey, what Trump said during the entire time trying to repeal Obamacare and get the healthcare industry back on track, let's have. Insurance companies compete across state lines, flood the market with a lot more insurance companies in a single market. That way they can lower the prices and have better competition because, like he just said, competition is always better. The laissez-faire, free market, private sector, capitalism with competition of numerous different companies fighting for your business, raising the quality of their product and lowering the price of that product to the best that they possibly can to take care of you, the consumer, that keeps them in business That's what competition does, and that's why the private laissez-faire free market society always seems to flourish without government intervention. Now, after us saying, hey, maybe we should create some competition in the healthcare market with healthcare insurance companies, and they say, no, 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 that's not going to solve anything, this is what he says about Internet. Uh,
1: um, The uh, competition, more than 65 million Americans live in a place with only one high-speed Internet provider. Research shows that when you live somewhere with limited Internet options, you pay five times more on average than families that have more choices. That's what the lack of lack of competition does. It raises the prices you pay. So we're working to fix that problem as well.
0: I'm sure he really is concerned about the competition in a private market. That's the lunacy of the Biden administration. The man, Bill O'Reilly, coming up right the around the corner. Stay reason, here. With Andy Hoosier.
1: When reason meets radio,
0: you're listening to the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Multiple radio stations all over the place. Radio TV, live streaming, podcasting. Hat tip out to the OpsLens family. OPSLENS.com, as they pick up the video stream for us every day. We are rocking on their website, app, and live stream all over their different social media sites. We've got it shared out as well. You can find us on there with our handle at Hoosier Reason. That's H-O-O-S-E-R Reason. Also, speaking of OpsLens, our new op-ed is out which is my monthly blog I put on my newsletter. But it's a the op-ed that you can find on the OpsLens website and app as well. You can read it. I find it vaguely interesting, although I'm not much of a writer. So hopefully you enjoy the outlook of the Democrat Party going into election season of 2022. Because, I mean, Joe Biden's all about, what was that again? Was We're th- also promoting uh, um- a competition. <laughs> well, yeah, that thing—that the, the, you know, the thing that makes the free market actually run—competition. Well done, buddy. Well done. I don't want to waste any time. I am super happy and honored to have this guy back on the program as we get into our what's trending. What's Trending Today? And last time I talked with him was last time his last book came out. But we had to get him back on here for his new book. As you know him from formerly with Fox News, his No Spin News, his radio program, his columns, his books. His latest book, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. It's the man himself, Mr. Bill O'Reilly with us here. Bill, how are you, my friend?
2: Good day, Thanks for having me in. How's things in
0: Wichita? Oh, uh, We are living the dream. Although our 90 degrees is making me melt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we
2: haven't seen more than 65 here in New York, and we don't get spring anymore. It's something about global warming. I'm not quite sure. but yeah, something like that. Very chilly here.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? I guess we can blame global warming for the chill in the air. This book is fascinating, Bill. I've been reading through this one, and I love it. For those that don't know, I mean, it is the secret war against terrorists. Bill, I didn't know that terrorism was still a thing. I just hear about you know MAGA being the most extreme political organization in American history, and how we need abortions and how, like, the LGBTQ and identity politics, like, I didn't know terrorism was a thing anymore.
2: Yeah, Putin's overwhelmed it, but um, there is a uh, extreme threat to the United States that uh, is coming from Al-Qaeda, which has reconstituted in Afghanistan after the uh, Biden botch of that we will all remember the Afghanistan withdrawal that led to the 18 U.S. service people being killed at Kabul airport. We end killing the killers with that information and stuff that nobody's seen. Um, But the United States has ferocious weaponry and a very effective surveillance on the terrorists overseas. It's inside the USA that's a little questionable. But Killing the Killers basically tells the reader, and this is all information nobody's ever heard before, how the track down of these uh, monsters happens and the assassinations, because we kill them now. They're not, you know, read read their rights or it's none of that. It's a hellfire missile uh, from a drone that obliterates these people in less than two seconds. And we walk you through that, um, and in the first uh, five days of release, Killing the Kill has sold over 100,000 copies. So people are very interested in what's being done to protect them.
0: It is great to hear some of these inside stories, and I love it. Right out of the gate, you talk about and start off the book with the assassination of Osama bin Laden, which I I love. And you did put the picture in there with Obama sitting off in the corner, kind of looking a little helpless. Uh, Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State at the time, you know, just in gasp in the military in charge of this. But talk about the story and talk about what you guys put in this regarding that operation specifically.
2: The whole book is based on the national security advisors talking to me. So I got about seven of them from uh, Bush, the younger, all the way to the end of Trump. You know, we had wrapped the book pretty much by the time Biden took over, although we did get the Afghan stuff. Um, And they told me exactly what happened in the assassination of bin Laden and al-Baghdadi and Soleimani and the firefights in Africa against Boko Haram.
1: We were able to check it all
2: out, um, but it's information that's never been put forth to the public before. So, Bin Laden was an interesting case because um, the raid was set up in a very methodical way, but it went wrong uh, because one of the helicopters malfunctioned and um, semi-crashed outside his compound. didn't affect the SEALs. All the SEALs got out and got into the compound quickly. And then inside the compound, it was the women who really fought hard against the U.S. Special Forces. Bin Laden and the men were cowards and hid behind the women, Um, didn't help them. And we take you step-by-step through that raid. And then the interesting, really interesting part is, after bin Laden was killed and his son was killed and the others, the U.S. Special Forces got all the computers and all the records inside that Abadabad-Pakistan compound. We got access to those records, which is why we could tell you in such vivid detail how this whole thing went down. And so that's the beginning of the book. As I said, Afghanistan is the end of the book.
0: That's amazing. I mean, to be able to see some of these documents and get the inside scoop of what really happened, how the operations go down, is is a fascinating aspect because you're right, these are things that we don't think of when we're going to work every single day, when the farmers out in the farm are going out and doing their thing. This is the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that we need to appreciate every single day, don't we?
2: Well, and it's more than that because... um, Our weaponry, which was developed in the Trump administration, remember, Donald Trump spent $1.2 trillion on upgrading the military, but we don't know where that money went. Mm. It went primarily into space weapons that Putin doesn't have and Xi in China doesn't have. And when you see how powerful these weapons are, the takedown of Soleimani, the Revolutionary Guard, that evil SOB, uh, from Iran, the only thing left of Soleimani after the Hellfire hit him was one finger with a ring on it, which is how he was identified.
0: Everybody else in
2: the two cars that were um, blasted were disintegrated. We have that picture in Killing the Killers. Wow, we show you the picture of the finger. It's incredible, but the destruction, uh, the weapons that we have, act as a constraint. Against Putin, Putin would be doing a lot worse things if we didn't have these weapons. Now, we don't use them on Putin because that would then invite a nuclear response. Nobody wants that. But Putin knows we have these weapons, and it does constrain
0: him. It keeps them at bay just a little bit. Were you surprised when the Trump administration came out and announced a space force? And like you mentioned, with, uh, with the military upgrade going mostly towards space, I mean, they complained about the, you know, the tanks and different things that we had that were just out of date and how we needed to. But like you mentioned, if it's all going to space, was that a bit surprising or was it almost predictable?
2: Well, I'm not a military hardware expert, so I was taken by surprise when our research turned up how many weapons we have in space and what our surveillance capability is. From three miles up in space, our drones can read the name of a golf ball (laughs) laying in the grass in Wichita. Wow. I mean, that's incredible.
0: Yeah. That's incredible, but it's also scary. I mean, I, I'm concerned about that. I like to be one of those eventually to live off the grid and do my own thing, and I, I, I do, <laughs> that's concerning to me when we have that kind of tech, uh, capability.
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of things in Killing the Killers that are going to give you pause hmm. because uh, now we've reached a point where this planet could be destroyed very quickly. But we have to deal with the retail violence of the jihadists, and they are getting more powerful. Because of the Afghan botch, Al Qaeda's up in northwestern, northeastern Afghanistan in the mountains. There, they're reconstituting. ISIS is back in Iraq after Trump defeated them there, um, and there's only one reason those people are in business, and that's to kill infidels, and Americans are at the top of that infidel list. So I tell everybody, look, this is the 11th killing book. It's the first one that's contemporized, that's happening now that you can see with your own eyes. But you need to know, number one, the danger... And number two, what's being done to protect you against that danger.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. We're talking with Bill O'Reilly, author of the book Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. You can find his website at BillOReilly.com. Let's talk about the change in handling of terrorism and, and defense and domestic defense and international defense between the Obama and the Trump administration. Was there a major change in policy on how they actually handled these? I mean, we heard the rumors of Obama dropping leaflets to say, hey, we're going to warn you before we bond you as opposed to trump just saying we're going to send some of these missiles that you know take out take down tunnels that are a mile down into the ground without any warning i mean was there a drastic change in policy on how we handled this stuff there was an evolution of policy because obama made a
2: huge mistake by withdrawing all u.s troops out of iraq some people may remember that as soon as he did that isis took over the western part of the country,
0: completely ran it, and then
2: went into Syria
0: and ran a lot of the northern
2: parts of that country. And you'll remember, ISIS was decapitating people on camera. It was on the Internet. They were riding into towns with black flags. They took over Mosul. I mean, and that embarrassed Obama. He was absolutely embarrassed. And then, after that happened, he changed into a very aggressive, let's get these guys mode. It worked partially. sure, But you had to clean these people out, and that wasn't easy. So Trump takes over, and one of Trump's campaign vows in 2016 was, I'm going to wipe out ISIS, which Trump did. Sure, And Trump was more aggressive in... Allowing the United States military to do the missions they had to do and to assassinate the people they had to kill. Trump was more aggressive than Obama, but at the end Obama was not a dove. I mean he was
0: he
2: he was angry that they embarrassed him.
0: Sure. That makes sense. Let's take a break here real quick. We're talking with Bill O'Reilly. BillOReilly.com is the website. The book, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. When we come back, I want to talk about the later part of the book, what we're dealing with right now, the withdrawal of Afghanistan from the Biden administration and where we're at right now moving forward. Fascinating topic, keeping us safe every day with the ongoing terrorism threat that continues to grow around the globe. We'll do that when we come back here on a post-Monday celebration here on The Voice Reason. Stay The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Fighting for freedom every day,
0: the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right! Welcome back into the program. We got a few minutes here on a post-Monday celebration, rocking it across the country on multiple radio stations, all over the place, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. Trying to cram that ten pounds of reason into that five-pound bag. Trying to rebrand it, the millennial generation one. Radio listener at a time, we're on the line right now with the man himself. I've been a fan of this guy for a long time, Bill O'Reilly, BillOReilly.com, formerly with Fox News, his no-spin news that he has, his radio program, author of multiple books and columns, his latest one, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. Bill, let's go towards the end here, as you mentioned, and let's talk about the most recent stuff, the pullout of Afghanistan, which, uh, according to what we've seen, kind of a disastrous pullout. But I remember vividly, and I forget whether they were the friend according to the Biden administration, or the ally, or whether they were the enemy, but ISIS-K, which is a new word that popped up, and we had no clue who the heck ISIS-K was against the Taliban, and one of them was a friend, one of them was an ally, one was helping us actually get out and and preserve all the air bases, which didn't work because we still had bombings at the air bases, but what the heck was going on there, and was it really as messy as what we heard in the news? It's
2: probably worse.
0: Um,
2: So... Afghanistan got to be a drain on U.S. um, money and manpower, not so much. Trump made a deal with the Taliban and said, look, don't kill or attack any Americans, and I will find a way to withdraw from Afghanistan. That was a deal that Trump made with the head of the Taliban.
0: And the Taliban
2: kept that deal for 18 months. There wasn't an attack on an American soldier in the last 18 months of Trump's administration. But uh, the generals advised Trump, and particularly the CIA, don't pull out entirely because we need Bagram Air Force Base to monitor the Chinese and to make sure the Taliban don't take over the country. So We've got to have air power there. If they do something untoward, we ought to be able to hurt them. So Trump did that. As soon as Biden got in, just like every Trump policy, Biden threw it out. He threw out Trump's border. He threw out Trump's economy. He threw out everything that Trump did. Yeah. And he basically said to his generals, we're leaving. And the generals were spineless and didn't say, we're going to resign if you pull out of there in a chaotic way. They didn't do that. Hmm. So the Taliban as soon as Biden was elected and inaugurated they started an offensive and unfortunately the Afghan people did not fight. So when you hear when I heard this week that the Afghan women are now banned from appearing in public without a head-to-toe burqa, I did not feel sorry for those women. Hmm. I don't feel sorry for the Afghan people. For 20 years America gave them blood and treasure. So they might have a semblance of freedom, and when it came down to it, they refused to fight for their freedom. So they get what they get. But Biden, who knows nothing about the military at all, the only Obama advisor to to, um, suggest that Obama not raid the Bin Laden compound. Remember, Biden's the only one that said no in the whole cabinet of uh, President Obama. Okay? And that's how astute he is. So he gets in and he goes, we're pulling out, and I'm abandoning all the weapons that we have. and I'm leaving everything there, and I'm pulling out of Bagram Air Force Base, and we're getting the hell out. Sure. Well, as soon as that happened, ISIS, they called it ISIS-K, but that's just a misnomer. ISIS basically said, all right, but we're going to hit you on the way out, which they did. So it was a terror guy incarcerated in Bagram, and I'm, I've been to Bagram. I've been to Afghanistan. All right, He was incarcerated. The Biden administration let all the terrorists out. He, in three days, then turned around and killed 18 U.S. servicemen. Sure, That's on Biden, yeah. 100%. Now, ISIS and al-Qaeda, they don't cooperate. And ISIS doesn't like the Taliban either. They're the ones that are causing trouble for the Taliban now. Okay, but it doesn't really matter because what happened in Afghanistan never should have happened. Biden it should never have withdrawn all of our people and let the weapons and Bagram fall into the Taliban's hands. Yeah. But he did, and that's history.
0: What a mess what a mess well yeah yeah, and we can't get anything back and now we're worrying about another iranian deal trying to work with russia to bring that back and it's a whole mess moving forward again it really makes us concerned about what's going on and uh hopefully we can see a red wave coming to start changing some of that policy we're out of time my friend it's bill o'reilly killing the killers billoreilly.com bill it's always a great honor to talk to you my friend i love it i got to talk to you again here soon Okay, Andy, thanks. Hey, a pleasure, my friend. That does it for us today. Podcast up in a little bit. Make sure you go and check out the book, all the great content Bill O'Reilly has there. Until then, we're back at it tomorrow. Time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.